Welcome in once again. It's Ira on Sports. True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, unfortunately, is not in the studio with us, and we're also not live, Ira, but there's good reasons for this. First and foremost, it's Labor Day, so everyone's, uh, you know, kind of taking it easy today, except for you. You've been super busy these past couple of days. Tell us what you've been up to. Just tons of, I think I've watched over 55 hours of tennis in the past uh, week. Uh, and then on Sunday, I went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday to the Open, uh, morning, noon, and night. And then yesterday, I went to actually the Hampton Classic. So we always cover all sports here on I Run Sports. I saw, which is a horse jumping competition. One of my friends is in it, was the favorite to win it, and uh, the judges were terrible. As always, you know, Ira does not like bad judging, and uh, unfortunately, he didn't win the Hampton Classic. But uh, so it was a lot of excitement. No football. We're going to get football coming up in a week, but uh, a ton of tennis. And I love the Open. It's one of my favorite events to go to. I suggest even if you hate tennis, you come to the Open and you still have a good time. Yeah, anybody could talk about NCAA football today, and we will, of course. But not every sports show could say they've been to horse jumping in 55 hours of the U.S. Open like you have. Um, we have a great guest today. We've had him on before. Sonny Vaccaro is going to join us around 735. Yeah, Sonny's going to talk about, we had him on the show before, talking about, remember, uh, the Air movie with Michael Jordan. He's going to talk about his pursuit of LeBron James, which is just as exciting. And there's no, been no movie about it, but it's very cool. So, and also talking about NIL and everything, everything he's involved with in terms of changing the landscape of college football and I, basketball. At Ira on Sports, follow Ira across social media. Ira, where are you right now? Because you're not grabbing a hot dog at Arthur Ashe Stadium uh, while you're watching this tennis. So in Arthur Ashe Stadium, they have a, a steakhouse. And this isn't like they have all a limited menu. This is Benjamin Steakhouse. It's in center of New York. It's a great steakhouse. They bring their entire staff out here to the – it's a beautiful room. It's set up just like a restaurant. They only use it two, two weeks out of the year. And you can get everything on the menu I, I, that you can get in the city. And the food is amazing. I ate here on Friday. We had a feast for three hours. Uh, I'm here just for a quick dinner today, but it's like the best place where you really cannot find another place at any stadium that you can go to and just say, oh, I'm going to have a dinner. And it's going to be first class quality. And uh, I think it's, it's Sean. I got to throw out a kudos to him, a prop to him for setting me up and been great to us and everything like that. So it's been, been just an amazing place. If, if you go to the Open, you've got to eat at Benjamin Steakhouse inside the Open. Sit down restaurant. Get the, forget the hot dogs. Forget the hamburgers. Go sit down and have a good meal. <laughs> so, Ira, do you want to talk about where we are now? You want to talk about how we got here? Because a lot of times you go to this tournament and you personally get a little disappointed with the performance of the Americans. But it's it's been a, a little bit of a revelation here. This is the tournament that the Americans are going to break through. Um, right now, as we talk at uh, 6 o'clock on Sunday night, it'll be 7 and when we do the show, there's 10 men left in the, in the field, and three of them are Americans. The two of them, I would say, have a very good chance to win this tournament. On the women's side, Coco Goff has, is the even-body favorite to win this tournament on the women's side. So this could be a chance where I can't, I, it's hard to say with all the years of, of Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic because we have something like that. Um, really, on the, and it's been, that's where the excitement is, is that TFO, I saw him against Manorino. We've had him on our show twice. He's now through to the quarterfinals. Uh, I, he played Manorino on Friday, uh, and it was a great, great match. Uh, he is playing fantastic tennis, running through his first three rounds, uh, four rounds, actually, and then super. And Tommy Paul was defeated by Ben Shelton. We know Ben from Florida. He was at Florida University, went turn pro, and he's been great. So now TFO and Shelton play tomorrow night in Ash in the quarterfinals. And the other quarterfinal is Taylor Fritz who we just saw win the Delray tournament against Novak Djokovic, who I saw Novak Djokovic play two days ago. 
uh, he played one of his friends, Dejer, uh, from Serbia. And the first two sets, he just could not play. He went in the locker room, looked in the mirror, and said, I am not playing a friend. I'm not playing someone who I mentor. I'm playing a, a robot, a computer. Went out and won the final three sets. That match lasted over four hours. I was there at 1.30 in the morning. But Djokovic is through as the number one, you know, one seed into the quarterfinals against Fritz and TFO at Shelton play in the other quarterfinal. What do you want to talk about on the women's side? Well, before we move to the women, I did want to say about the other side of the quarter is uh, Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, is a dance. He's he's through, and he's going to play uh, Sinner and Zasha Zare. You remember last year it was my fantasy football draft. Sinner and Alcaraz played one of the greatest matches of all time. Sinner had match points from Italy. He did not win that match, or even losing these match points. But this year they're going to play again when I have my fantasy football on Wednesday night. So, but this time I'll come over for it. But I just saw uh, Alcaraz play for the first time today, dominating performance again. He's only dropped one set this entire tournament. And so he's looking to go. And the other quarterfinal on that side of the draw would have Daniel Medvedev wins tonight. He's the one who beat Djokovic a couple of years ago against Andre Rublev. And that, that the two Russians would play. So really, you got the first seed, maybe the six, three, eight, and then you have uh, two, nine. And it's, it's, it's that respect. You know, the seeds got through. Now, there, I got, I was lucky. I saw some big upsets. I saw in the first day, uh, Holger Rune and uh, uh, Felice Alassin uh, lose. And uh, they were the fourth seed and the 13th seed. And there's so many uh, courts out here. They're playing on the fifth court. It's loud. There's noise. It's like you're going to a public court and you're like, balls are coming on the court. They were complaining. They're like, I'm a fifth seed. I should be playing out here. Call a let. It doesn't matter. They didn't deal with it. Their opponent had to deal with it. So they ended up losing. And uh, that was like, you know, one of those big upsets you see. Then in the second round, I got to see amazing day of tennis. I saw the number five seed, Casper Root. I'm sitting like literally, you go to the grandstand, you sit like right on the court sit right there and he lost to Zhang from China and it was a super exciting match and then Tissipas the number seven seed ended up losing in five sets to Dominic Stricker of Switzerland and you know another big upset and then Chris Eubanks who we saw at Wimbledon amazing 28 seed lost to uh, Benjamin Bonzi from Italy so that was it's cool to be out there on these outdoor courts and to sit there and be close and the action first four days literally i'm at the grandstand i'm at court 17 i'm not at arthur ash stadium and i'm if you saw all the pictures people are saying wait were you closer to the ball boys are you the ball boy like what were you doing so that was exciting but i think from the men's side oh and i want before we move so one of my friends is uh was working with and, and has been a good close friend with uh, matteo armaldi now people think matteo barrettini but armaldi is from italy he's 22 years old and he said you've got to see my friend so I came out and saw him his first match. He won easily. Second match, five-set match, he won. And third match, we went Cameron Norrie, 14th seed, great player from England. He ended up winning that match in straight sets. Today, he played Carlos Alcaraz. So it was cool because I'm sitting right behind the player's box. It was awesome to be there in the atmosphere and everything. And he ended up losing in straight sets, but the third set, he played really well. So, I, you know, someone, Mateo, this is someone who was – Mateo was, was like 2,000s in the world a couple of years ago, went to 1,000 like a year ago, and now he's just moving up, and he's going to be probably in the top 40 after this tournament. So it was, it was so cool to be, meet the coaches, meet his parents, meet his girlfriend, meet everyone, be involved with that whole thing. So from the men's side, this has been fantastic, and I can't wait for this week, you know, for the semi, quarterfinals, the semifinals, and concluding on Sunday with the finals. This is Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Sonny Vaccaro, 735, will join us. You can follow Ira across social media at Ira on Sports. Yo, what else do we need to cover from the U.S. Open, Ira? Because you've, you've seen dozens of matches the past few days. 
Yeah, I would say from the women's side, the key, the big match I saw today was Maddington Keys. Uh, she was able to beat the number three seed Jessica Bakula from America to advance to the quarterfinals. Big win for Matt Masaki. As you remember, a few years ago, she made it to the finals against Lone Stevens. The story of this tournament, though, is the six seed Coco Goff. It's her tournament to lose. She has played four matches. She, every match has been on ash, exciting, everything. Three set matches, but she ends up coming through. She's, uh, you know, this is, this is her tournament. It has not won a major. And, uh, but she's 19 years old, which, which like, well, just plenty of time, but she is just uh, the number one seed. Swiatok was defeated yesterday. Uh, she plays Asta Patenko next. But really, if you look at the rest of the players in the draw, this is really Coco's chance to win. She is her doubles matches. They just put her doubles match in Ash, and it was almost all filled up. You, she was playing mixed doubles. The people were lined around. She is the superstar of all superstars for the women's side. And, uh, and she's a fan favorite. Everybody likes her. Uh, it, it just you know, her attitude, her, you know, her, she's just fun. She's laughing. And the fact that she's playing doubles with Pagula, I cannot remember two top players on the men's and women's side playing doubles together. And they're playing doubles, and they, they're still advancing. They're in the quarterfinals. So I think the story for the women's side is Coco. For the men's side is, is Fritz. TFO, and even Shelton going to get through for Americans, and it's going to be Djokovic and Alcaraz. But it's, this is great. I tell everyone, turn the TV on. This week for the U.S. Open is going to be fantastic uh, in terms of the matches during the day and the matches night. Quarterfinals after tonight with both men's and women. And Ira, before we move on, like you said, you, you pretty much devoted your entire week to this outside of horse jumping. What's been the most exciting parts? I just think going to the Open, and I tell everyone, don't just stay away from Ash. Go to the courts. Pick the, I buy a seat in the grandstand. You, you're out of match. It's close. You move to another another court. Watch that. Stand in line for that. Knowing whatever and the excitement of the fans are from all around the world. Um, the players, the flags, the enthusiasm. Sometimes you don't hear anyone speaking any language at all. I mean, hanging out with Mateo's crew and everyone speaking Italian. I learned so much. I learned more Italian this week than I've ever learned my entire life. So I think it's that aspect of seeing. There's 128 men, 128 women play. They start you know down to eight and eight after today, and I think just going to the matches outside make it so great. And now this, is, this week is the week you're in Ash. This is the week you go into the main stadium and watch it, you know, those matches. But I think just jumping and saying, oh, I think this match is over, I'm going to move this, to see all the upsets I saw, to see the excitement. And players like Mateo Arnaldi, who this is changing his life. I mean, he, this money is important to him. He's making every time he wins it sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000. So you see the life changing, and, and I really love this. I love being around it, and I love being close to the courts especially those first days. It's really something you don't experience. In golf, it's hard. Uh, football, basketball, maybe. But to see this many players and this much excitement, as I said, I encourage everybody to come to the Open. It is an experience you're never going it, to – you will not regret coming here. This is Iron Sports. Troll these channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Sonny Vaccaro, good friend of the show, joins us around 7.35. Going to be uh, some fun stuff catching up with him. But Iron College football underway. Of course, week zero is in the books. But week one now has been uh, accomplished for the most part – Florida State and LSU, this was the game that everyone was eyeing up, the biggest game of the week, and it turned out to be a really epic win for Florida State. Tremendous win for Florida State. Look, Florida State won its final six games last season under Mike Norvell. They returned almost every one of their players, including Jordan Travis, the receiver Johnny Wilson, and the pass rushers Jared Burst. And they, people are looking forward. This is, I mean, the excitement for Florida State is all-time high. LSU, though, look, they, they played great. They upset Alabama last year. We're in the SEC championship game. And LSU scores on the first play of the game, 55-yard pass. 
they come down and where it is is Florida State's defense. They held uh, LSU twice to nothing. On fourth downs, they went. They can't convert on fourth downs. And then in the second half, it was uh, 17-14, LSU up 17-14 halftime, and then outscored 31-7 to in the second half. Florida State just was amazing. Jordan Travis, 340 yards, four touchdowns. And Kean Coleman, the transfer from Michigan State, the wide receiver, nine receptions, 122 yards. Uh, Florida State converted eight to 13, third down. And it, this is one of these at Camping World Stadium. Most of the fans were Florida State fans, but it was a, technically a home game. But just a huge statement, ACC, SEC game, saying Florida State says we're back work here you know how many years when we were younger it seemed like florida state was either one two or three and four for like it seemed like 20 years they got bad now they're back and this was a, this was a big win for them and for lsu the question brian kelly his question you know going for fourth down some mistakes uh really cost him the game and ira it's funny you know leading into this game it seems like it's been what everyone's talking about in the media and what you keep hearing is Watch out for LSU. This is a sneaky pick to win the national championship. You know, go bet them. They've got the best odds. They've got a you know great coach now. The season's almost over before it started. Well, it's not over per se, but, but with the fourteen playoff, yeah, it, it, this is a bad loss for them. And uh, now they can you know go and win the SEC play and do this. But you expected more from Jaden Daniels, uh, their their uh, uh, their star quarterback. But I think what the performance that Florida State on defense put on in the first half and their offense in the second half really gives you thinking that, boy, this team is going to roll a lot of teams. And, you know, there's some big games coming up in the ACC, you know, Clemson, Notre Dame, those type of things, but really a big win for them. So all is good in Tallahassee. Can't really say the same in Gainesville. No, awful loss. Florida had, there were, the question was by the enthusiasm of Florida State, Tons of question marks for Florida. They go to Utah. They lose 24 to 11. Now, remember, I saw Utah's last game when Penn State played them. They didn't have their star quarterback, Cam Rising, who's you know, a Heisman Trophy uh, potential candidate. Um, they don't have Kelton Kincaid, who everybody's picking in fantasy for the Buffalo Bills or tight end. But Bryson Barnes was the back of quarterback game, and Cam Rising was overcoming an injury that he had last year, but he should be ready in the next game or two. But uh, uh, Florida, this again, the sort of the same problem that LSU had. Florida drove in the red zone four times, but only got ten points. Um, second quarter, Florida made a horrendous mistake. They were uh, uh, Utah was punting the ball. Florida had the same two players of the same uniform number on. You see this in high school. It gave uh, Utah a first down. They went down, converted it, made a touchdown. Just if Utah goes up to a 24-3 lead early in the third quarter, but these mistakes from uh, from you know from Florida, the 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 the, the uniform number, how, how does that happen at a program like this? Um, just and again, Florida's inability to do anything on offense. It seems like when Kyle Trask left Florida, the offense just left with him because they have just been nothing since then. And uh, Florida only totaled eight yards in the second quarter. They averaged one yards per play and went 0 for nine on third down before finally converting one in the fourth quarter. Just no offense from. Florida and uh, and Utah is good. Utah is a good team. It's, uh, kudos for Florida to play this game in early in the season, but they did not look impressive at all. So, Ira, those were the two uh, premier marquee games of the week. After this, it was a lot of games that we kind of thought were going to be blowouts. And I got to say, it was a bad day to be a small school in Tennessee as Georgia faced uh, UT Martin. Yeah, I'm going to run through these games. Georgia beat well, UT Martin 48-7. Carson Beck. Uh, that was who was. Replaced Stetson Bennett quarterback. Carson Beck was looked great, 300 yards, one touchdown. Brock Powers, the tight end, want to be the next Gronkowski, really is amazing to watch him play. Five touches, catches, 77 yards. Michigan looked great beating East Carolina, 33. No Jim Harbaugh, no problem. You like what J.J. McCarthy, their quarterback, did almost 300 yards, three touchdowns. 
Blake Corum back from injury, their star running back, so they cruised. The team, the one team, the major team that people put up there that had a bad, I would say they won 23 to 3. Ohio State or Indiana, the third, the third ranked team, but they were only just leading 10 3 at halftime. Kyle McCord, their quarterback, threw an interception, no touchdowns, didn't look good. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., who everyone knows, thinks is easily going to be one of the top wide receivers to ever come out, you know, into the draft, only had two catches for 18 yards, and they really are missing CJ Stroud. So that's the one team that they did not have, you know, that quarterback to come in there. Alabama destroys Middle Tennessee State 56 to 7. Who was going to be their quarterback? Jalen Milrow, 200 yards rushing, 50 yards running with two touchdowns. He played well. And so that's sort of, and then the USC game, you know, USC is going to have three games when everybody else sort of has started in the season. Caleb Williams, again, 319 yards, five touchdowns, and a 66-14 to 14 win over Nevada. They're 2-0 and and they're cruising. So teams like USC, Bama, Michigan, and Georgia look great. Ohio State, uh, not so good, but it's only the first week. What happened with uh, Penn State? I know you were dialed into this one. Oh, I wanted to go to the game, but I'm here at the Open, and I couldn't make it, and it was a home game. It was the first time that they played West Virginia since 1992. They were a 21-point favorite in the game, and all eyes were on Drew Aller. Drew Aller's a foot five, 240-pound uh, starting quarterback who uh, sat last year behind John Clifford. People like me said, if Drew Aller was the, is the best quarterback, why is he – starting behind Sean Clifford. I don't care if Clifford's been there for five years. Aller comes in there 300 yards. He threw three touchdowns, and he, Andre Lambert-Smith, the wide receiver, was electric. Four catches for 123 yards. Singleton and Allen, their two-star running backs, were tremendous. And, look, West Virginia hung in there. It was 14-7 at halftime, but it, to- it was total dominance of the second half by Penn State. Really good win, 38-15. to And the question is, I mean, when I watch Drew Aller, I keep thinking young Ben Rothenberger because he's not going to run the ball and do that, but he just avoids. He steps up his pocket. People are grabbing his legs, grabbing his arms. He's throwing the ball big, strong, and it's a big win for Penn State. And that's, you know, as a Penn State fan, we go on the road at Ohio State this year. Michigan's at home. If Penn State could win, I said, one of those two games, they are probably going to be in the college football playoffs. So that, the fact that Penn State looks so good against West Virginia and Ohio State looks bad against Indiana gives the Penn State fan hope. This is Ira on Sports Trollies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Follow Ira anywhere across social media at Ira on Sports. What are some of the other games we, uh, we watched over the weekend? The Texas game, the Texas, you know, number 11, Texas blew out Rice 37-10. to 10. Tennessee, 49-13 over Virginia. Uh, Joe Milton, uh, the Michigan transfer, uh, replacing Hendon Hooker, had 200 yards. And Notre Dame, Sam Hartman, that quarterback transfer from Wake Forest, another, now they play Tennessee State. Remember, we had Eddie George on the show a couple of months ago, the coach at Tennessee State, excited for this. What a great opportunity for Tennessee State to play at South Bend in that game. They lost 56-3. But, you know, Oregon beat Portland State 81-7. Kansas State beat Southeast Missouri 45 nothing. So those were those, you know, it seems like everybody blew out everyone except Ohio State of all the top teams. Ira, I think what we're going to hear all season is about Deion Sanders. Whether he wins or loses, he's going to captivate uh, the media. Totally. And what a win by Colorado. 45-42 to at TCU. Now they're saying, TCU, remember, TCU was a team that was in the national championship game last year. So their last two games, the complete blowout by Georgia, the national championship game at SoFi, which I was at. You know, after they beat Michigan, the, the week before, it has been now this game, they lose the Colorado. They, they were favored by 21, 22 points. Um, everyone, Colorado ran off their entire uh, Dion got rid of 81 of their players. These are all transfers, new players. This they could never been done before. And everyone is saying they only won one game last year. They're saying, well, they'd be lucky to win two or three this year. But Shador Sanders, his son, how about this? 
38 for 47, 500 yards, four touchdowns. They had four receivers who caught over 100 yards, including Travis Hunter, one of the top wide receivers everybody should watch, 11 catches, 119. But big, big win uh, at TCU by Colorado. And now the the Pac, you know, stay up late at night. You know, the Pac-12, this is their final year. But this year, they have a lot of good teams. They have, you know, USC and then Colorado and Utah, we just mentioned, plus Washington, plus Oregon and UCLA. They're loaded for their final year. But that was a big win for Colorado. We'll see what happens uh, the rest of the year. And what do we have coming up next week? Well, first, I just want to say one game I saw Saturday night when I was watching the Penn State game was North Carolina, South Carolina. And Drake May, who everyone is slated, is the number two pick in the draft right behind Caleb Williams uh, for North Carolina. Now, he looked impressive. He looked like Justin Herbert out there. He's big, strong, elusive, runs the ball well, and great win for North Carolina. He was through for 300 yards, two touchdowns. Two bad interceptions, which, you know, when the game was about to be blown out, you know, kept South Carolina in there. Spencer Rattler for Carolina, uh, South Carolina played well, but not good enough. Um, the thing that's impressive about UNC, their defense, they had Gene Chizik, the former coach at Auburn, who won the national championship. They had nine sacks in the game on South Carolina. And if North Carolina, who has always seemed to have that good offense, but no defense, if they get that defense, wow, watch out. And then uh, coming up this week, it's, a, it's another weird week of games. Uh, uh, Bama, but the big one is Bama at Texas. Bama minus seven at 11, you know, playing Texas. The number, you know, that'll be great. Uh, other games are just not really anything that close at all. A lot of easy wins, uh, easy games. And then there's the big game is that uh, uh, is Nebraska at Colorado. Uh, again, Colorado is now favored by two and a half points. Nebraska, them. Notre Dame minus eight at NC State. That's exciting. So those are the you know those are the games that really you know and the Texas A and M minus spot at Miami huge game for both. Remember last year disappointing game for Texas A and M a good one for Miami both you know both teams went off the rails at the rest of the year but this year at Miami Texas A and M comes in they have uh, uh, Bobby Petrino the new offensive coordinator see what happens in that game so this is a, a big win for a big game between A and M which is ranked 23rd and against unranked Miami on Saturday. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, and Mike Balsamo. Sonny Vaccaro joins us at 7.35. Ira, three days away from the NFL season getting kicked off. I'm excited. So are you. But when we look at the schedule, there's really not any huge games. You know, we, we got a decent opener. We've got good Monday night football, good Sunday night football, and the rest is just going to be, you know, standard NFL. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to highlight the Lions Chiefs is not the best opening game. Like you want to sort of, I mean, everyone's, you, you and I both are a little down on the line. We're not down on the Lions. We just don't think the Lions are here going to go to the Super Bowl. So I think that's the one thing. And I, but you have to see Patrick Hones on Thursday night, defending champions soar. Sunday, I got five games to, to take an eye on. Bengals at Browns. Bengals are favored by two and a half. Is Joe Burrow healthy? How's he going to play? What's happened with Joe Burrow and Deshaun Watson? Uh, now, are we going to, is there, we're going to see really Deshaun Watson. What are the Browns going to have? Is it how good they could be? So this is really a good test, a barometer, I think, for both teams. 49ers at Steelers. 49ers minus two and a half at Steelers. Is Brock Purdy healthy? How is he going to play? And Kenny Pickett. And how really that answer this game is how good are the Pittsburgh Steelers? That's going to be this game. Is this, are they real for real? Then you got Green Bay at the Bears. Jordan Love finally. It seems like you know now again we can see Jordan Love play the Bears after four seems like four years against Chicago Bears. Another team like the Lions that people are saying oh they're going to be really good this year, which I have a lot of my doubts on. Like I don't think Justin Fields is that good a quarterback. So Bears are favored by one. And uh, I think that they I think third, late in Sunday the Eagles at the Patriots. Interesting game. 
You know, this is a year where the Patriots, not people, people do not have high expectations for them. Eagles are coming in, but they lost a lot of players. They lost both their offensive defense coordinator. It's going to be at New England. Seems like a trap game that Belichick's going to pull off at. You know, it just feels like a win for him. Like, I just feel like this is a game he's going to win. And then uh, Miami at uh, the L.A. Chargers. Uh, Chargers giving three. That game's, of course, to uh, Herbert, all the other things, everything with that game. So I just those are the five games before we get to the Sunday and Monday night games, which I think would be exciting on Sunday. Yeah, Sunday night football is going to be a big one. It doesn't matter. It's it's an, an NFC matchup, NFC East matchup with uh, the Cowboys versus the Giants. And it really doesn't matter season to season if these teams are bad or not. These are always brutal matches between the, between these two teams. Yeah, I mean, I'm out in the Hamptons, and it's the question everybody comes up to me is how good are the Giants and how good are the Jets? And the optimism from New York fans, I mean, it is sky high for both teams and certainly for Dallas, too. So this is Sunday night's game is going to be exciting, and they're pumped. And, and, we, and Monday, Bills at Jets. I'll be at that game. Jets favored by two and a half. Aaron Rodgers' first game. You saw Aaron Rodgers watching Djokovic last night at the Open. He's been everywhere. I mean, what hasn't Aaron Rodgers seen in New York? He has lived this summer. Like, I have a friend that lives as a summer intern in New York, and I think Aaron Rodgers had a better summer internship in New York than she did, and she was doing everything amazing as a summer intern. So he definitely lived the summer in New York. Yeah, and we'll talk more about uh, that game next week as we get ready to kick off as we do our IRA on Sports Show leading up to that one. But, yeah, that, that's the matchup everyone wants to see. What does Aaron Rodgers have left in the tank or the Jets Super Bowl contenders? I'm hoping they lose by 30 and we can just put this to bed right now, kind of uh, end Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, ride off into the sunset. But uh, we're going to have to see. We'll talk about that next week. we got to talk golf here, Ira. Ryder Cup's coming up. And it was very controversial in my eyes that Justin Thomas got picked uh, as Zach Johnson's captain's pick. I don't know, Ira. There's about five golfers I would have taken on this team over Justin Thomas. You maybe aren't as down on it as I am, but the way he played this year, he just doesn't deserve to be on the Ryder Cup team. Well, it's it's a deserving, and it's also, uh, are you hot? He's not hot. He's not deserving, but he's had the past history of successes. So they decided to put him on and over a Cam Young who was ninth in points and he's 15 in points. So clearly that was the big question mark what they did. And, and, and I think it was one of those, they feel comfortable. He has a good record in the Ryder cup. He's six, two and one, 10, three and two of the president's cup. But yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm okay with it. I just feel like I'm watching Ryder cup. I want to see the best players in the name players. And it's a team game. You select a team. They felt he's going to be good for the team, but I feel bad for someone like Cam Young. He's young though. He's only in his second year, but someone like Keegan Bradley, this is probably his last shot to get a good Ryder cup, not going to be in it. And he, they were, you know, he and Dustin Thomas was selected over those two. So we'll see what happens now. If Justin Thomas goes in there and plays great, and it's a good selection. If he plays poor, then it's, it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Like, Obviously, a lot is riding on Zach Johnson's choice here. If, if Justin Thomas goes out and is 0-4-2, what does that say? I mean, it, it, I heard a lot of quotes flying around from professional golfers, people that are you know around the sport saying, like, what is this, a good old boys club? Like, because it's your buddies that they get in. And it, it's discouraging for smaller named players who played great, like a Keegan Bradley, to say, basically, what do I have to do <laughs> to make this team? Because this guy played terrible this season and gets in over me. Yeah, it's a, it, I think what they're saying is the Ryder Cup is different than a stroke play golf. This was stroke play where you're going to go out there and just play uh, a, a tournament. Justin Thomas would not be selected. Like, do you play with twosomes and, and four best of four best balls, and then you have a, a, a match play against another player at the end? They feel that it's different, and Thomas is usually experienced in this, and they're playing in, a, in hostile territory in Italy. All that would lead him to you know, help 
but I can see where the other golfers would be extremely upset because Justin Thomas really has not done anything. He's not has not done deserve it, and also he's about as cold as any golfer you can imagine be selected for this tournament. And you want to talk a little bit about the uh, European team, what they're going to put forward? Yeah, well, you know, Rory, Rom, Hovland, Hatton, Fitzgerald. It's all, the European team is always top-heavy with great players, players on the end that you've never seen, even though Steph Straka was chosen, winner of the Honda Classic, and then a couple of players that you've never heard of, never seen, and it was, it was uh, like they're going to be paired against uh, uh, Justin Thomas and win, you know, on Sunday or something like that. So that's usually what the European, that's the, mo- you know, the, the model is have veterans, people have been there that have won, top players, pair them with some younger players and bring them up. And I think that, you know, that's why they are the favorite to, uh, again, win the Ryder Cup in Italy in a couple of weeks. Let's talk a little soccer here on Ira on Sports across, uh, across social media at Ira on Sports. Messi mania continues, Inter-Miami keeps winning, and you can't look around in South Florida right now without seeing people excited for Inter-Miami and Messi being here. 11 games. He's 10 and 01 since he joined the team. They beat the LAFC in Los Angeles 3 1. He had two assists, no goals, but two assists. And uh, you had everybody in attendance, star studded as they expected. Prince Harry, Owen Wilson, Leonardo Caprio, Selena Gomez, Will Ferrell. Um, it is just uh, amazing what he does. And to think that this team was, you know, still in last place at 7 4 and 14, you know, with all of this because they were winning tournaments and this and that. But wow, I, I have don't can't imagine a turnaround like this is like that like in that kicking and screaming when they brought the italians on the soccer team and they were like the worst team will ferrell is going to watch it hasn't seen will ferrell's my favorite will ferrell movie but they brought these italians and it's only the worst team in the league became the best team with the two italians they only brought well, they brought some other players but definitely bringing the argentinian Messi has turned everything around and it's must see tv even though it's on apple tv it's a lot harder to watch and i, I wish i wish it was on uh, more general tv that people would be able to get this is uh, Ira on Sports Troll, the channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's go to baseball. And Ira, season is dwindling. We're in the final month. And I got to tell you, <laughs> excitement's never been higher for the New York Yankees. They're in last place, but everyone is fired up in, in Yankee uh, in Yankee land because of Jason Dominguez. The Martian made his debut on, uh, on Friday, one of the biggest prospects the Yankees have ever had. And he's lived up to the bill, absolutely cranking balls over the weekend as Houston gets swept by the Yankees, something I did not think was going to happen one week ago. No, it's crazy. I mean, that's what that's what, that's what New York sports has become. They're talking about next year. It's all a next year thing for the Yankees and uh, and Mets and and that and that's why they're turning the Giants and Jets. So that was it. But I think for baseball, I think one of the I think a storyline that might be going underrated is the Braves. Uh, they've now pulled way ahead of the Dodgers for the first seed. They're ninety and forty six. They're on a pace to win almost hundred and ten games, which would be uh, amazing. And uh, so they're really rolling along. But I tell you, the Philadelphia Phillies, I think they're just sneaking in. And that's why I hate the baseball playoffs. You know, anything can happen. Those five game series that they start, and uh, I'm a little, you know, you, you, when you look at a team like the Braves and the Dodgers, how well they played this year, and they could be out in that first round. But you know, Tampa. Baltimore and Tampa, Tampa, you expect it somehow, but they, Tampa has lost their entire starting rotation and their best player, and they're still two and a half back and hanging in there. And you're going to get between Seattle, Texas, Houston, and Toronto, uh, three of those four teams will get in the American League. And what's going on in racing? Um, Matthew Verstappen keeps winning. Ten straight wins, 12 out of 14. Best year ever in the history of uh, uh, Formula One. Uh, his teammate Sergio Perez was second. The two Ferrari cars were third and fourth, and Mercedes fifth and sixth. There's only eight lanes. It's eight. Races left. He has a 145 point lead. 
if he does super and Perez doesn't do well, it's over this week. Um, it probably will be over the week after. So with six races left, uh, Verstappen could probably say, I'm done racing. Goodbye, everybody. And he still would win the whole championship. But no, he's going to probably try to win every single race that's left. And uh, the other in NASCAR, in the first playoff race, Kyle Larson, who uh, he won his first playoff race. He led 55 laps uh, at Darlington, which I love when they get this clock. There's a, a clock to, for the victory, and he had uh, he's had trouble this race in terms of the fact he's been so close. Three seconds, two-thirds, and uh, Larson pulls off the win, his third win of the season. So they advance to the next round of the playoffs. Let's go to Sonny Vaccaro. It's Ira on Sports. So this is Ira on Sports. We're so fortunate to have back on Sonny Vaccaro. We had Sonny on a few months ago, and we talked about the Air movie, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. And Sonny was gracious enough with his time to come back because we had a couple other things we wanted to talk about. So thanks a lot, Sonny, for coming back on Ira on Sports. Looking forward to doing it. Looking forward, Ira. So... Tell me about, now it's been a couple months since Ayers come out, and I was telling one of my friends that I'm having, uh, not the person, not Matt Damon on, but Sonny Vaccaro on the show again, and she said, she goes, oh no, I would rather hear Sonny than to hear Matt Damon. So, you're, it's, this has been tremendous, I think, for you in terms of just the publicity. Yeah, it has. Well, anything, you're, when you're associated with people like Matt and Ben and the movie, and yes, it is. It's much more beneficial to me, and, and it has been, and i the movie has been received very well. That's great. And so we talked, I said, about Michael, and we talked about Kobe. And last time when you had on, we were just getting into LeBron. And I've been reading so much about LeBron and your involvement with the recruitment of LeBron. And I remember I was reading a story where you told about when the first time you saw him, you went up, I think, to Oakland. And he was playing on the court, and the middle of the game, you left. So if you could tell that story the first time you saw LeBron play when he was, in, I think, going into his junior year in high school. He was a young fella, and uh, all you know the crew that's with him now, you know Maverick and those guys, you know were with him. You know weren't with him at that day, but that's how old he was. They were all like juniors or sophomores going into junior year, whatever. So they arranged the workout uh, for me in in uh, Oakland, California, because he was going to play with an AAU team up there. So we lived in Calabasas at the time. Pam and I flew up and. We met the family for breakfast, and we did all those things. And we went to the University of San Francisco, where his high school coach, you know, then ran a scrimmage among some, you know, kids from colleges up there in, in the, the Cal area. Uh, and uh, that's when I first – I saw him on video before that, but that was the first time I'd seen him. So he goes out there and plays. We, we meet everybody and all that sort of stuff. And he goes down and, you know, he starts playing whatever first five or ten minutes, and he's having a – rough time, and I didn't know because Pammy and I were in the bleachers, and uh, he goes over to his coach, and his coach said, what's wrong, what's wrong? He said, my shorts are falling. <laughs> so he had to get a tightened belt, and uh, then he, you know, he said, my goodness, you know, you got the guy here looking for you and all that sort of stuff, and um, and I've never met any, you know, all the people more than five or ten minutes, and um, and then he goes back on the court, and um and then the people he's playing against is very, are very, were very, very good, and uh, and that's a true story because it's documented by the people who were there. And so I went down and uh, I told your coach to, uh, you know, uh, that I I, I saw enough. He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "I saw enough. I can I'm going to take you earlier playing out. And, uh, I want to talk to you guys after the weekend's over and he's done. But uh, he's brilliant. He's all those things, and no one can believe it." And I said, "You know what?" It says, I'm just telling you, call me, you know, 
when this is all over and whatever, he's unbelievable. And that's sort of the words I talked about. And I left. Him and I left and went to the airport and got a, a, a 3 o'clock plane. It was a 7 or 8 o'clock plane that night and got home. And, and that's the true story of me first witnessing him. And that coach called me, uh, Danforth, and, uh, and then we, you know, all the people that brought him there, I you know, I met his mom at breakfast, all, you know, obviously, and, you know, his crew and Eddie and everybody. I mean, the, the, you know, the kids that were with him, and and we struck that relationship that day, and we just followed it through. But it didn't take long. Um, it was sort of like the Kobe Bryant interview for Jerry West. It didn't take very long to see what I thought I saw also and believe in what I saw. And I was reading about, and when he went to, you know, you were at Adidas at this time, not Nike, and he went to he went to the ABCD camp that you had, and I guess there was another great player named Lenny Cook, and everyone yeah. was talking about the camp is going to be LeBron versus Lenny Cook, and they played one game, and I think LeBron completely dominated him, but that just took over that entire camp that that summer, the the camp that you were running, the ABCD camp. And that that game was historic uh, lore for youth basketball in the camp, and no question about that. Uh, that's what happened. And Lenny was the number one player. Lenny earned all that. And I think because Lenny didn't have a, he messed up a little bit on his personal life and whatever. And he, he was great. So let's not, let's not undermine that. But, uh, and the irony of the whole thing is LeBron was obviously much better on that day than, uh, than, uh, you know, he ever would be because that proven out. Um, but, he hit the last shot at the buzzer to win the game from like 25 feet out and I jumped. I'm serious. That was like somebody wrote a script for it, like a movie. <laughs> and that's, that's what happened. And you and your wife had a great relationship with Gloria, uh, LeBron's mother, and the family, and 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 that was that must have been tremendous in terms of you you sponsored St. Vincent Mary's, you spent time in Akron, you did all those things, and and really developed a close personal relationship with LeBron during this recruitment process. You know. Um, you know, I have to say that's the absolute truth. And to this day, uh, you know, I don't see anybody anymore, the kids or whatever. Life has changed. And uh, and I got out of the business in 2007-8. But Gloria and I remained. We used to exchange Christmas cards or whatever. We used to get it from LeBron. But Gloria, Gloria to me, going through, you know, uh, the adversity that she did, and, and as a man named Eddie Jackson was very, very involved with the family, and Eddie, Eddie was close to me also, but but Gloria was the glue. Gloria was the, the you know going through life, and you can honestly see LeBron speaks his mom you know all the time. So it was a, a great relationship. And you're right, you know Gloria came to my home. Uh, that LeBron never did while they were being recruited. He was out town, and we just spent a lot of time together when we could spend a lot of time together. That was great, and then. The end of it was in terms of the, what he had to finally finish his senior year at St. Vincent St. Mary's. He decided on, you know, decided he's going to turn pro and what shoe deal he was going to have. And Reebok offered him that hundred million dollar contract. And then he goes out and sees you. And I think you rented a house and and you were giving the presentation for Adidas. Yeah, well, no, Reebok didn't give him hundred million. We promised him hundred million. Adidas promised him. Reebok gave him. Uh, he went to a private Reebok meeting and they were going to give him a lot of money. And they, we're going to give him X millions of dollars on the spot, but it wasn't anywhere near that. So we, I promised LeBron uh, while they were still in high school that the Adidas' number was going to be $100 million, $10 million a year for 10 years for $100 million. And, uh, and, and though 
no, you know, it didn't, it wasn't, he didn't have to do things. He was just getting out of streak. It wasn't an inducive thing like he makes the all-star team. He does all that. So what then happened, what then happened, um, when we had them to visit and they were all done, you know, done on the ocean there with the, with the place where he reserved and give him his first class, you know, he brought the whole team on. They went to a Laker playoff game and it was a very good, uh, very good weekend. And then when we opened the contract, Adidas fib. They fib to me, which meant I fib to the player because I basically set the prices for all the things that I did at any company, any company. So other than, you know, I agreed with Michael, I mean, because that was Rob, Rob thing there. But I, we got him to that point. But from then on, once I was hired at Nike after the Michael thing, we signed a coach in that. My number was, my number was gospel to the coaches we hired at the time. So LeBron's there meeting, and he's with uh, his, his agent Aaron Goodwin at the time, and mom's there. And, you know, and I see the same thing as they see. It was only uh, $7 million with incentives for $3 more million, and that was never part of the deal. And that's what happened. That's why they lost it. So that's basically what happened. And then he went to Nike, and they didn't give him the $100 million either. They gave him, you know, some incentives with, like, $90 million, but... That when they left me, the last words I spoke to to LeBron and his family that day was, "Don't tell Nike what we offer. See what they offer. See what they offer, and go from there." Because I I wanted him to get more. We weren't going to get him at the seventy. I knew that right away, and I knew they would. I knew they would. You know, you know bar. They didn't know the exact number. So that's the story of LeBron and uh, Dan uh, Malibu. Do you think that if you if if Adidas would have came in with that hundred million, that that would have signed him, that he would have signed for Adidas, or do you think that their pool with Nike and Michael and that thing would have might have drawn him to back to Nike? I, I don't know if that would have happened. I do know that I was closest to their family and anyone. I mean, no matter what Nike says now, and LeBron and his family know that. We were vetted with the family. There's no question that I was personally, but but they could have. I mean, Nike had a lot of things. We were just starting. We we were just at that time when I had gone to Adidas. We already had now Kobe, Tracy, and um, um, you know uh, another guy. Anyway, a really good guy. Uh, but anyway, but Kobe and Tracy were there. You know, they were they were signed already. So we we had uh, they, we had guys going, and there been a continuation of what we had going. So then to switch from LeBron to, which I wanted to, which we totally missed the last time we had you on the show, was your work with, in terms of what we see about NIL and how you were spear, the spearhead in terms of making you know, these players that they can earn money. And I think I'm trying, I've been reading stuff about it. it says in 2008, David Stern, Miles Brandt, the head of NCA, they had this big meeting and you, and you weren't invited to the meeting. <laughs> and then you're like, you know, they say, we're going to clean it up, but they didn't really clean it up. And then that spurred you to sort of like to talk to some players and see, you know, about in terms of, you know, the people using their name, image, and likeness and not getting paid. And I think that led you to Ed O'Bannon. You're, you're right there. It was Jermaine O'Neal, the third player for LeBron. So we had uh, Tracy, we had Kobe, we had Jermaine O'Neal. And Jermaine turned out to be, you know, he's holy, or he was a Hall of Fame right there. But So we had three great players before we're going in. So LeBron would have, you know, coup de call. So now going to that meeting, yeah, they they had they had a lot of meetings about Sonny Vaccaro, the NCAA, and then later on, the thing. And the irony of it all is that showed you the bias and prejudice against me personally. Uh, there's no question, but also showed that I was 
focused on something that I totally believed in, not that I was right, wrong, or indifferent. It's something I believed in. And that meeting turned out to be the biggest fiasco in the history of mankind. I don't want to go into it now, but a lot of individuals, they signed, you know, that in IHOP, it's called IHOOPS, uh, was what it was. With another thing they did was the disaster cost money, and you know, and people who ran it, you know, you know, whatever. It wasn't successful. So this gets your point to your readers. I was basically ostracized by the other side. Okay, and to be very honest, what led me into you know, eventually Eddie was Brandon Jennings. You know, they. They try to keep him out, you know, going to, they wanted him, to, he was going to be, you know, getting ready to grades, and it was about to buy grades to go to Arizona. And, and he wasn't going to sit out of here because it took a half a year in those days to to make a decision on a player that they suspicious didn't do the right test score or some stupid thing. And Brandon called me and I did Brandon to go to Italy. And Brandon, and Brandon gave me the opening. Because after Brandon, then I got a, then I got involved with Eddie. That's when I that's when I left. Uh, I I left. You know, thing. Brandon was my first outreach. There's no question about that. And uh, so, but but O'Bannon was the was the maybe the goal that I was destined to because we were still fighting for kids. Eddie and hundreds and thousands of other kids were you know were not allowed to you know earn off their name, image, and likeness and. I, I went through 15 other players that I had known. You know, Eddie was the player of the year in college. Eddie was the most valuable. He, they won the national championship. Eddie just didn't have a great pro career. So there were some people that, you know, thought he wasn't a great player. Well, he was a great player. He was a great human being. And he was what that trophy was about. That's exactly what he was about. He was the player of the year. And they picked him. No one, no one tells me today, why didn't they pick somebody else? They picked, you know. They picked the, the, the game. The thing the game picked, you know, Eddie O'Bannon, and Eddie O'Bannon showed more, more fortitude than anybody. He went against all the grain, in a in a less fortunate situation, and he put his name to this thing. And at the end of that movie, if if I should die yesterday, today, or tomorrow, whenever it is, okay, that's the proudest thing that I've done. I've certainly done a lot of things in my life that I'm proud of. But I think O'Bannon was the icing on the cake because the athlete fought the fight. The athlete won the game. He won the thing. But I was walking with him in his shadow. And I, I just love that. And Eddie O'Bannon uh, should be, you know, memorialized for a million, million other things, maybe just being a good human being. But he did what no one else chose to do, be the face of NIL. So and and it started because I guess he was playing a video game and his someone and his kids or someone was playing a video game and said this is great and look that's you because it had his number the likeness everything about it, it didn't just say Ed O'Bannon on it and he's like and the guy goes and it's like someone said this game makes so much money everybody has it they're all playing it and he's like well it, that's me in the game it's making tons of money I didn't sign a release they're just taking you know why am I not getting any money from this game that keeps getting sold year and year after year after year. And it was a friend of his, a good friend of, uh, uh, you know, him. Uh, and then he called him over to us, and Eddie didn't see the game. Okay, you know, he went over and saw the game and saw what the kid did. And then Eddie, I had approached Eddie, and he was thinking about joining our thing. And 
And then he called me, Mr. Vaccaro, you know, you know, I watched everything. I'd like to talk to you about, uh, you know, I didn't know it was NIL then. I don't think there was a name for it at that time. But anyway, um, he said, I'd like to talk to you about the EA Sports game. I think I want to be involved. And Eddie, Eddie O'Bannon did it. And it took us a long time to do what he finished doing. A lot of naysayers, a lot of people against him, against, you know, me because I was helping him in a sense, okay? But Eddie bore the brunt. Eddie bore the brunt. I was the shield, I think. And then all the other people. We had a committee. We, invite, we You know, Ken Feinberg, uh, uh, the man who, uh, you know, split the money for the, the 9-11 tragedy, Agent Warren, you know, Vietnam War. He was, he's the guy, you know, that's split the money. Just go, go Google it, people listening to the show. Ken Feinberg was the guy that was going to make a deal with the NCAA, you know, Michael Household, uh, Bill, uh, Bill Erickson, and a bunch of other lawyers, very good lawyers across the country, teamed in and they went against these people. I think it took five or six years to, to win the damn case. <laughs> we were going and going, and we almost reached the, the you know, the Supreme Court. But O'Bannon is, or O'Bannon should live forever. Well, yeah, because in 2016, the Supreme Court decided to, they actually upheld the lower court decision, which said that the NCAA was violating these players' rights and, and, and then the incentives were for the payments. And then later than 2021 was the Alston case, which the NCAA yeah. lost nine to nothing, which then clearly said players are allowed to earn money. NCAA can't stop them. But I, I was I was in researching this. I noticed that you spent so much time like going through the different rules of different schools. You found that in North Carolina, the players actually sign their likeness away that they so you you had been you had laid us so much groundwork on your own to find out you know what would the players were doing and how this was being enforced well i started the layout the, the lawyers just did i gave them all my leads so, you know i knew of situations so i was very familiar you know a man named uh, dr uh southall the, uh, he was a professor that i i uh, lectured to at the university of north carolina who invited me and uh <clears throat> And uh, and we had other people, you know, Alice Tagarski, uh, a professor and a doctorate, you know, was then, I don't know what school she was at at that time, uh, Drexel, you know, and she actually was a, was a, a witness for the prosecutor, for us, you know, for the defense, and we were going after it. So I had a lot of people in education and law firms help me, but I I shared with them, because Hostel, the first time we, before he took the case, sent two of his people from their San Francisco office meet me in uh, Santa Monica, where, where Pam and I were living at that time, and we brought boxes over to him. <laughs> I, had, I had 100 boxes, I mean, but I, I brought, we, we, we shifted through it and got two or three boxes of information that I could, you know, they're, they're all, you know, it was even before how we use uh, internet now, and, you know, Texas and all that. But this was like in 2010 or 11, I mean, so it was way back. And they took him with them, and that's how it all started. But Eddie, Eddie was the, the catalyst, and the lawyers were great, and I had great, great, great people. People I'd never known in my life became my best friends. <laughs> they weren't the college coaches. They weren't the athletic directors. They became the law firm that protected the athletes and won the case. 
I mean, we've, anyone who's followed sports as long as I have has seen everything from Steve Alford being suspended because he posed for a calendar for charity for a sorority count. You know, those crazy things. And you actually went back and looked. I think one of the other things you found out that that an NCA had a rule that if you were a student athlete, you couldn't even hire an attorney. It was against their rules to have your own attorney, which is crazy. And then it was struck down in Ohio. So you had done so much of that legwork. And, that, you know, it's certainly everybody owes a debt of gratitude for your efforts. Thank you for saying that. Uh, you know, it all started when Pam, I was watching classic sports one day, you know, early 90s, and I was watching, you know, uh, Maryland and North Carolina on TV, you know, that ESPN classic sports thing a long time ago. And uh, and she asked me one day, Can't, uh, Pammy was a very successful commercial actress, and, and, you know, for about 10, 12 years. And she said, Sonny, very instantly, said, do these kids get residuals? That's what that, that's what it was because that's how you earn a pretty good living. You know, doing commercial, you get the residuals. You do a song, you know, the writer gets a piece of it, and that's what's made me start my investigation. And that's when I found inside that contract that these people. I want your audience to listen to this. If they have no opinion, or if they're dead set to get the kid getting money, whatever they want to be, here's what they did. In the middle of the scholarship papers, which is 2,000 pages, right? <laughs> they put down, and by the way, we own your name, image, and likeness in perpetuity. This, these kids were 16, 17. When you signed, a, I, I remember when I signed one, and thank God, because I never played a doctor that I could hurt, you know, then you got a contract, and they, they fly. You got a four-year contract in those days. And, um, and these people hit it inside there. And what does every parent do? Every parent, except the, like the super, super, duper, shoe star, I mean, whatever, all that stuff. You know, what do they do? They just sign the papers. They're, no one's going to lie to us. These guys, Coach Jimmy ain't going to hire, you know, this university, oh, my God, it's Harvard Yale. They don't give a sense, so I can say that. My point to you is that's how, that's how thievery they were. That's how bad they were. Any other thing other than squaring on your show does not define what the NCAA has done to athletes, athletes, over a hundred years by using the word amateur. Do you think that we'll ever get to a time where there will be, like they're not, they're getting now uh, opportunities to get name and likeness and get signings, but do you think there will ever be a straight thing where they will get, you know, profit participation from these huge, and you know, we keep talking about these big TV deals that everyone's signing, that's why all the conferences are merging. Would you think that there'll be a time when maybe some of the players will get some of that money? They, they will get it, and the NCAA, as we know it, will be extinct. <laughs> and they will get it. Next project, that's, they will get it. That's that's what their partners in the game do. Not just the portion which could have been. No, no. There's there's good conversation about stuff like that. Well, Sonny, I want to tell you something. I, as I said, we, we finished with last time. We didn't have enough time. I want to bring you back. I so appreciate you to talk, coming back talking about LeBron and your work with uh, at the O'Bannon case and with NIL. And uh, just what a, what a life you've had, what a career you've had, uh, touching so many. And I'm so happy that Air came out, that people now know your name. I don't have to say, you know, they know who you are and they know what you were doing. That's, that's phenomenal that, that you've got this recognition now. Well, I appreciate what you're saying, Aaron, and for the people who are watching it. Uh, as I said before on the show, the movie does not speak lies. 
there's a you know there's a movie. There are you know different things, different situations, and the actors were certainly better speakers than I am or anybody else was. And Viola was brilliant. And I I believe is a hopefully at the end of uh, whenever time they come to give awards out to those actors and the people, the young kid who wrote the the the, the, uh, the, the movie, uh, you know, Alex Convery. I mean. Uh, Hopefully they get nominated for these awards that they give in that world. Now, that would be certainly a, a nice ending. But if it doesn't happen, oh, mistakes are made all the time. It, it, was, it was right at the top of my life. And you know what else it did for me personally? When it's the end of the movie and they did the scroll, it wasn't like I donated this or I donated that. You know what I'd like to say? I'll tell you what I'd like to say. Eddie O'Bannon saved everything about purism in an athlete and being respected. That was, that was the epitaph that I liked to end there. Not that it's wrong giving charity and all that sort of stuff. I'm not against that. I just said, that's what my legacy will be, I pray. And if people hadn't seen the movie, what, what Sonny's talking about is that they did a, they showed where everybody's from the movie, what they're doing now. And that was his, that was written under, you know, like the, in the credits that was written. So that was, yeah, that was wonderful. Um, you know, they, you know, they wrote that Michael Jordan went on to be the greatest basketball player of all time and those things. And then that was what they wrote about you. So yeah, that was, that was very touching. That was excellent. So Sonny, yeah. I, I wish you the best of health and I hope you have, get it enjoy to watch this upcoming basketball season. And thank you so much for coming on the Iron Sports and talking about your, amazing life well this is great and i'm going to hold you to something around the holidays let's do this again oh the basketball season will be in the middle then so we'll, we'll, we'll go for that yes definitely that's we're going to bring you back right in the middle of basketball season thank you much sunny okay. thank you thank, thank you thank you bye-bye thanks so much to sunny vaccaro for joining us here on ira on sports so ira what's the plan for this week because this is when your schedule gets really hectic you try to go to every penn state game every steelers game what's your plan for this week I'm doing open. I'm staying here in New York. I love it. It's been awesome. I've had the best time, and I'm going to be here uh, uh, Tuesday uh, for two matches, Wednesday for two sessions, uh, uh, Tuesday for two sessions, Wednesday's fantasy draft. i got to focus on that. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, women's final Saturday, men's final Sunday, and uh, I'm going to miss Steelers, 49ers, and I'm going to Penn State, Delaware on Saturday. But I will be Monday night. We're going to have to do this, tape the show a little earlier because I'm going to see the uh, Jets get the Bills on Monday Night Football at MetLife. Awesome, awesome stuff. This is the time of, this time of the year that we love, Ira, and we, like, uh, we love that you can join us as well. And if you can follow Ira, see all these uh, exploits at Ira on sports across social media. Thanks so much to Sonny Vaccaro. We're out of time. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night, Ira on sports.